Hello and welcome to Honest Theology, a podcast where we ask real questions about a real God and a real faith. Um, today we are talking all about the massive topic of discipleship. Yeah, but it didn't go down too well. No, it doesn't go down well. <laughs> Uh, unless I'm missing something major, but I don't think I am. Oh. Interestingly, you said like a program on Solomon's porch, and I was like, suddenly they're all Do sitting I say down a program? on the. You no. did. I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood. Let's be honest. Okay, so Hugh, um, discipleship. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Theology of discipleship, because that's quite interesting too. Okay, let's t- let's do that. <laughs> Well, it's it's interesting because obviously there was a pattern of discipleship that existed when Jesus started taking disciples. John the Baptist had already got disciples. But the interesting thing is the way... Didn't that, also like just Pharisees, normal yeah, Pharisees I think have people disciples. people did it. it yeah, was, just, was the uh, kind of thing, wasn't it, really? Um, but it, it's, the intriguing thing is the way that Jesus kind of turned it around and made it incredibly relational mm. and impartational and... It just comes across to me in that moment when when John has a group of disciples with him and he points out Jesus and says, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And, and people leave him and follow Jesus. And, and some of that I like because it, it says that while John was standing, Jesus was walking. And it, I get the whole impression mm. that, the, that the discipleship of Jesus was about momentum, building momentum in other people's lives that's and taking them forward. Disciple means follower, right? It it's does, like yeah. A, Almost a literal translation is like you're a follower of, mm. yeah, yeah. So you need to be going somewhere. Don't you? you need to be going. So it's quite hard to be a follower when they're just <laughs> standing, still. standing still. Yeah. Okay. So, but he flipped it in a sense of it being relational. That that suggests that all the others weren't relational. Well, I think he took it to a level that was really, really different. Um, and I think that because um, you get the impression that when when you were taking followers on board that there was this expected distance, you know, a bit like I, I'm the luminary moving ahead and you okay. follow at a distance. But it's very interesting that Jesus could have had the biggest gap of all, couldn't he, as the son of God come to earth? Yeah. And yet the gap was virtually non-existent. He sort of really had them around him, lived with them, traveled with them. It, it, others may have done that, but the extraordinary thing is that Jesus was doing it from that position as the Son of God, mm. giving himself into that situation in such a total, wholehearted way. And and the role of so when the so in, in that kind of setting of being a disciple, uh, what what would people expect of being a disciple? Like I've heard some people say that you know when Jesus says follow me, and they just leave their fish. Like there's a few different explanations and whatever, but part of it as well is because it's a huge honor to be asked by a rabbi Mm. to follow because that means like you're going to. So what was the expectation of the disciples of being a disciple? Well, I think it was mixed. I think you're quite right that there was a reputational element. Hey, this is really great. I've been asked to follow this one in this way. I think they expected to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, they saw a miraculous ministry in Jesus that they wanted to get close to as well and yeah. at times you know that that almost overtook didn't it because um you get the impression at times that they wanted the miracles more than they wanted the relationship but you know in the midst of all of that you've got this reality there that whilst they're they're, they're following Jesus there's a sense in which Jesus is almost trying to to give them a new sense of what discipleship is that's what I feel anyway that he's he's setting something different before them now also 
Um, John had proclaimed that the, the one who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when you're mm. asking what they were expecting, I think they were expecting something from Jesus that no one else had ever been able to give that sort of empowering with the Holy Spirit. And that was something that they were obviously thinking about as they followed him. But it was actually worked into the way that they were living on a daily basis. John was also doing something different. Like he was, ba yeah, he was baptizing people. And that was a new thing yes, as well, it was wasn't too. it? Yeah, and he was baptizing people to, to see a washing away of their sins. So yeah. they would go into the water repenting. And that's what, G that's what he would do in his baptism. And, and Jesus was willing to submit himself to that, even though he had no sin to confess. This is going to go on a tangent now. But <laughs> you, you know when, because Jesus' declaration of like saying sins are forgiven is essentially kind of going, I am Yahweh. That's mm -hmm. the, 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 yeah. the similar thing. But if John is baptizing for remission of sins, isn't that a similar claim? No, it isn't really, because he wasn't forgiving the sins. What he was doing was saying that this is a new beginning for you. Okay. This is a, an opportunity. If you confess your sin, God will forgive your sin. So that was, that's what he was doing. He wasn't proclaiming, I forgive your sins. He was actually putting himself in a position where he was... On the basis was, of what Jesus was about to do. Yes, in, to a large extent, okay. yeah. yeah. Sorry, complete tangent. No, it wasn't yeah. a tangent. It was good. <laughs> just thought, oh, I've never thought of that before. Okay, so... Jesus uh, walks around with his followers, lives with his followers, and yeah, and what obviously there's this whole the master and the servant, but also the servant is on the same yeah. level because because it is it sounds like a teaching relationship. At least that's the expectation. Sure, it's uh, being tutored, yes. having your own personal tutor. Um, <laughs> By being taught by example as well as by taught by yeah, by rote, exactly. as it were. So obviously that instantly comes up with a hierarchical perspective but then jesus of course flips that by not only words but by washing of their feet yeah. as well yeah so that's really must have thrown doing. their mindset so many times really and and it's extraordinary you know because when he's when he's living amongst them he's got this expectation that 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 this is how you're meant to live mm. so it's extraordinary there are times when you know, I, I know we've talked about this before, but I find it quite extraordinary that they would go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Because, you know, the way that Jesus prayed himself was so radically different. It was almost like he could just step into that one moment, be talking to them and the next moment, you know, Father, I thank you because this. And you see that mm. when they come back from the mission of the 70, you see it when he's before the tomb of Lazarus, this instant connectivity with God. And it's amazing that they, they didn't come to him and say, mm. teach us to pray like that. How do we get into that kind of relationship with God yeah. where it's just instant connection? But, you know, I think they were still locked into a concept of discipleship, which was give us the rules and we will try and obey them. But to be fair, his answer sounds like he's dismissed that little bit. Of, Do you think so? Because he starts with Abba and that yes, is he does. Yeah, no, hugely that's great. different yeah, uh, of course than he anything. Did. No, I agree. And I, I think that what he taught, and I wouldn't dismiss it on that kind of grounds, yeah. but if all you're left with is a prayer that you pray by rote when you were being discipled by someone who had this amazing connectivity where he could just talk to the Father with yeah. liberty, it's that kind of interesting thing. Now, I know that when they did get baptized in the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They entered into that kind of relationship. Yeah. So what they'd been seeing for three years is something that they entered into. But there's that, that interesting thing with, with the fact that, in a sense, Jesus was discipling them into a life that they hadn't yet fully received. Mm. 
Um, whereas well, we've got a different challenge, really, when we're discipling people. Yeah, I guess. But on, on the, the the original twelve, let's yeah call them that. Yeah. Um, they obviously were disciples before they were believers, and they also. <laughs> this is why we do it in theology, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but and they also performed miracles before they were filled, mm. because as you say, the the sending of the seventy um, yeah. is a. Yeah, they start performing miracles. Yeah. I know there's some things that they can't do because they come up against some forces where their belief holds them back. But mm. they, that seems a strange order that they well, follow was, before it, they believe and absolutely. they stop performing miracles before they fill. But, they're but it, it was an exceptional period, wasn't it? In some ways, what okay. we're looking at is it's the closing of the old covenant and the entering into the new. So you get John as being the greatest among the prophets, but Jesus is coming in to bring something fresh and something different. And it's very interesting because you could say that the it's whole... It's mad that he's known as the greatest amongst the prophets because, like, if we just read about what he did, he ate locusts, wore rags, and put people in water. <laughs> yeah. Like, Elijah I... called out fire. Like, yeah. That's really cool. Well, yes, but if you go back into something like the book of Malachi, uh -huh. it's proclaimed that there will be one who came before, you know, the the messenger of the covenant. So you've got this sort of... So it's more the message that is... It, it, was well, and the fact that he was the messenger of the ultimate message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, okay. that puts him in that sort of <laughs> unique position. And it was a huge privilege, obviously. But, you know, he, Jesus is making the point that, that there's, there's something greater for us. And it's a transition point. So you've got this interesting thing theologically, as you're saying, where, you know, they hadn't yet received all that they could receive. And yet they were being discipled into the life that they were expected to live once the Spirit of God had come upon them. So they were seeing how it worked out on a day-to-day -day basis with Jesus. But I guess they weren't empowered on a day-to-day -day basis. There were times when they were given authority mm. to go out and heal the sick and to do all of those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, like we've seen previously in the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah, for that, for that season, for that, for that yeah. time. Yeah, but th there was something so much more that was awaiting them. And it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, you know, I, I wonder why they weren't bringing it up on a daily basis on the sort of, hey, John said you were going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. You know, when's this coming, you know? But I yeah. guess there was such a, such a radical nature to walking with Jesus and living with him that that sort of took up all their attention. I mean, every day was unexpected in the way that he handled debates, the way that he answered discussions. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm learning big time here. Mm. And, and so although you'd come expecting a spiritual encounter that was yet to be, you were still on a day-to-day -day basis making a discovery of what the life that you would receive was going to look like when you were living it. Yeah. And then, and then obviously we carry on and we get to, uh, unless I'm missing something major, but I don't think I am, uh, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, rose, whichever one it is, um, you know, chills out with him for 40 more days, yeah. goes away, and then on his, like, well, kind of some of the last things he says is, go and make disciples, Yeah, um, which is like, you know, a big quote that everyone likes, you know, called the Great Commission. Sure. So... What, what, and let's keep it in the historic times right. of like Book of Acts and maybe, you know, the letters. What, mm. what does that suddenly start looking like? Well, I think the first thing it looks like is that 
very clearly they were making disciples of Jesus. For Jesus, they weren't making the people disciples of yeah. themselves. Yeah. So that was very interesting because although it does say though that disciples of Apollos, disciples of Paul, like they yes, but there that was that little bit. Isn't yeah, it? but it didn't go down too well. No, it doesn't does it? go down well. <laughs> but it sounds like some of them were. Yeah, yeah. That's always a tendency, isn't yeah. it? That you you know you're you're being asked to follow Jesus, but you're looking for someone around that can can be there for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. But he does make it conditional, doesn't he? So yeah. in other words, he's virtually saying, if I stop following Christ, just stop just following, stop me. following yeah. me. <laughs> but, you know, there's that, that sense in which from, from day one, when Peter stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost, mm. he's, he's making them into disciples of Jesus. That's what he's doing. And then the whole program that they put together in Solomon's porch where they gather together and you've got the apostles teaching, you've got the breaking of bread, you've got the fellowship. That's all reinforcing that you are now disciples of Jesus as we are and we're working with you to that end. Yeah. Of course, they, um, th- these 3,000 and, and the more that were added, they, they all kind of create this community, don't they, on this piece of land somewhere? Like, don't they, they sell everything well, they have and they... No, of... it wasn't actually like that. I think what you get is that um, there was a whole need... To, to finance the church in the beginning because so many people had come from different places mm. for a week's feast, mm. have an encounter on the day of Pentecost with the Lord and want to stay on in order to learn. Don't know how long they're going to stay, but obviously there are financial implications. So people start selling lands and they start working ways in which they can bring money to the apostles. Initially, the apostles or the apostles want to delegate that out so that they can sustain this early community. Mm. But I do feel it was um, a rather unusual period. I mean, obviously, I've had a house full of people at different times, too, yeah. and everything else. Um, but, you know, there was something unique about that. This was an opportunity. They were desperate to learn what Jesus had said. You know, these were people, many of whom had rejected him before and now had had this encounter with him. They wanted to know what he said. So the apostles teaching them was really important. The fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayer. It was a whole new experience. And so, you know, we're not quite sure exactly how long it lasted, several years before the persecution under Saul of Tarsus sent them everywhere. But it was a very, very important time. And, and you can see that in that time, yeah, they were learning to be disciples of Jesus. Mm. Through... Yeah, like, through, through people like the apostles teaching them and yeah but what and what kind of like one-off now and again meetings or was it all right okay they, well no because you, you said you've got you, everything you've you said got... interestingly you said like a program on solomon's porch and i was like suddenly they're all did sitting down on the, you no. did and i and i was like hmm this will be interesting i'm going to bring that up later yeah okay fine well i don't really see it as a program in that sense but what you had got you had obviously got them coming together on a pretty much daily basis and I guess the apostles must have worked out amongst themselves who was going to say what when or whether they divided them into groups or what they were going to do. But in addition to that, you'd got them breaking bread from house to house. So obviously there were houses in Jerusalem that belonged to the Jerusalem-based believers. Mm. They must have expanded in order to take in other people. They probably took on other properties as well. And so you'd got this sort of dual level from the beginning where people were being in large groups and in small groups. And I think it's important to realize that both are relevant. You can be discipled in a large group, but there's also some value in working it out into smaller groups as well. Is that what, this might be jumping the gun a bit, but is that what um, church gatherings like, because essentially you're teaching the word of God in church gatherings or you hmm. <laughs> should be doing something similar to that at least. Is that a form of discipleship? 
Yeah, it should be, shouldn't it, really? It's all part of, look, we're, we're all meant to be learning from Jesus. Yeah. You know, we're trying to follow him. We're getting these, these things that we want to learn. It's very interesting in the early days of the Methodist movement when whole loads of people were being converted under the preaching of people like Wesley. And they had a class system where they were encouraged to meet up you know, during the week and have these really honest conversations about, you know, how's your Christian life going? Nice. And it was really quite difficult. You know, they actually used to say things like, so what sins have you committed this week? And what things have you done that you're not sure whether they're sins or not? That's the whole <laughs> to... Um... Yeah, a smaller group openness kind of thing. Yeah, what do you what do you call it? Confession. Yeah. It's, what the Catholics do is confessional, essentially. But it sounds a well, bit like, not in the same degree, but confessing to a, to one, one another. another. It was more like in the James situation where it says confess your faults to one another and pray Ye for one another. Yeah. And and that works fine. I think that sometimes it becomes a little bit difficult if you feel obliged to confess your faults. This was in a context yeah, where yeah, you were yeah. free to confess your faults. And, you know, I For don't... help. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't mind telling you what I've been up to, but I wouldn't necessarily... Oh, the got things to I could tell you, you, listeners, the things uh, I could tell you. Yeah, yeah, well, sure. <laughs> we'll do but, it on a secret podcast yeah, yeah, episode. Secret one. <laughs> episode 2.5. No, I think, I think what, you, what I'm saying is really that, that there needs to be a relational element if yeah. you're going to open up at that kind of level. Yeah. And also, the, the, the sort of praying for one another isn't necessarily, you now remit my sins. It's more yeah, a case no. that you're praying for me, I don't go and do it again next yeah, week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. But it's the whole, yeah, yeah. Um, which are quite bold conversations. Yeah. And take quite a bit of discernment, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just choose the right person as well, that helps. So it's yeah, not all over yeah, the newspapers exactly. tomorrow yeah. morning. Oh, no. <laughs> all right, so we, we've got this kind of weird, yeah, again, a weird time period of, yeah, 3,000 and suddenly passing through and whatever. Um, I guess we stabilize a, a, a little bit later when we move into the, um, further on in the book of Acts, where we get to Paul and when we get to yeah, city Barnabas. Yeah, churches and, and things like that, and yeah. multiple churches in the same city. You know, you get that impression with, with Rome, for example. There were lots of separate meetings in Rome. Yeah, well, they seem, they seem like house yeah. churches rather yeah, they than, because they don't have synagogues then. Like, yeah, it, so you don't have meeting places, so you use what you have, and, and, and that works. But, but there was nothing to stop people coming together in larger gatherings. It wasn't a sort of, we don't do large gatherings. I mean, obviously, no, that's I mean, how it began. It's, yes. it's in Israel, Solomon's so you can, do it out, good. you can do it outside. It's warm. It's, <laughs> a, it's a win. <laughs> but you moved to Spain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, that, but you then get this... Uh, it starts. You start seeing more personal relationships um, come out of Barnabas and Paul. You get Paul and Timothy. Um, Onesimus is like another guy that yeah. he seems to. You know, he's converted from slave to yep. brother, which is uh, what. So, what are these relationships? Because I think this is what people now look at as more. I think a discipleship model, but. I, I don't know. I think they do, but, but I don't think it's the only one in Scripture. That's why I'm saying that, you know, yeah. let's keep it open. Let's yeah. realize that we can all be learning in a, in a church context as well, which is, which is great. And in other situations, you can learn. I think that's all very important. But I think in, it, there's some sense in which it would be great if every relationship had an element of discipleship in it, mm. really. You know, we, we, we want to grow in God. We, we're given relationships with each other. And we want to maximize what we can get out of those relationships. So, so we should have that kind of openness where, 
where we're prepared to disciple one another and encourage one another. Now, obviously, there'll be situations where there's some kind of disparity. I mean, obviously, when they, they, they listen to the apostles' teaching, the apostles had a lot to teach that the other people didn't know. And as, mm. you, as you go on in your Christian life, there will be different levels of experience. But I do think that sometimes we, we've, we've lost that sense of being able to, to minister to one another when we talk about this kind of discipleship mm. because it, it, it's almost as if, I've seen this happen in some countries I go to where, where they're looking for some great elevated figure to be their mentor. And, and the person that they choose is so remote from them yeah. that they're never going to be able to have the kind of connectivity yeah, that yeah, yeah. Is, is going to change them at that down-to-earth level. But do you see the relationship? Let's go with Paul and Timothy because mm -hmm. it's probably the most famous. L do you see that as a discipling each other? Because that's, that would be interesting. Because I don't think anyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably would, actually. Because I do think there are elements when, you know, you're, one of the things that happens is that, that even if you're doing the discipling, you want to improve in that. Yeah. You want to do it better. Yeah. And I look at the situation that Paul had with John Mark, for example, and it didn't go well. Uh, no. at all. Now, it's great that in the end it all got sorted out. But I think that actually what Paul was doing when he said, no, I'm not going to take you with me. If you walk out on a mission trip, I'm not going to take you with me. There was something powerful in that. It was saying, look, I'm not dismissing you as a young man, but I'm trying to put something into your life that's going to, to put a bit of backbone in you. Now, it's great that at the same time Barnabas was prepared to put an arm around him and take him back to Cyprus where he got it wrong and everything. But then you look at the way that Paul handles Timothy and you almost get the impression that, that he learned something from that situation with yeah. John Mark. Because, you know, when, when Timothy comes with him, I, it's so different. John Mark wasn't even prayed for as part of the team when they went to Cyprus from Antioch. But when uh, they leave Lystra and Derby and those situations where Timothy was based... He makes sure that, you know, they lay hands on him, they pray for him. And, and it's almost as if there's a different kind of sending and a different kind of relationship. Well, that's learning, that is. That's being prepared to learn in that kind of relationship. But isn't that learning from uh, experience and failure? Whereas, I, like, I, I don't know, but it, does, well, it doesn't sound like, for instance, John Mark and him had a conversation and John Mark, you know, told him what's what you and don't have to tell someone what, what to be something lots of times you don't realize it sometimes you say things to me and i think well i'm definitely going to make a note of that <laughs> no, no no fair <laughs> enough it but... just comes up but what i'm trying to say is yeah. that, that that a disciple we should all be so open to being encouraged in our dis discipleship with jesus yeah that that's what we want we want to grow so we use everything that we possibly can in order to develop that and every relationship that we have can be valid in that kind of way but have you never had okay i think what i'm trying oh, to compare going, push it, me Keep what, I, what i'm trying to compare it to is you know when like there's someone who's who's a christian and they've got really shallow or skewed theology like yeah. it, i mean it's it's really no way near even basic level yeah, yeah, yeah. and they give you advice oh, well, you and, know and they try to... and disciple you yeah like, like I, I, I mean I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm using disciple in the teaching sort of sense and that's why I'm kind of trying because you might start discipling someone and then they may come back at you with 
wacky stuff. Nonsense, yeah. Yeah, it's true, and it does happen. And yeah, it's even course. worse than that because, you know, there's always people out there that are looking for those whom they can disciple. They look for people with potential oh, yeah. who they can put you oh, yeah, like under the their wing yeah. and say, you oh, can be a listen, leader. this <laughs> is my disciple. <laughs> oh, come on, give up. I avoid those kind of people. But no, if you've got a genuine relationship where, the, where you can speak into each other's lives, I think that's really different from a situation where you're stuck with someone who's wacky that you're trying to steer. And I understand then you, you, you know, that I, I'm, I'm really cautious, but yeah, it, it's test, test all things and hold fast that which is good. Mm. But you know, I mean, oh. I guess there's, there, there is a third person in every discipling relationship, <laughs> yeah. which is the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, because <laughs> ultimately we're meant to be disciples of Jesus. So there's, yeah, exactly. that, that's really key. But no, what, what I really want to get to is this, that I, I think what we've, we've, we've run into a danger of is that the, the discipler disciple gap can mm. sometimes be much bigger than it needs to be and people are looking for mentors that they think have got vast amounts of experience and generally people who don't have any time whatsoever so it doesn't become a practical relationship mm. where, where they could probably find someone who was much closer to them who maybe hadn't got the vast amount of experience can give them what they but have. actually can give them what they have and if you turn that around the other way see one of the things I found was that Obviously, I've been involved in, in doing what's called follow-up after big evangelistic events, yeah. you know, where you've got, say, you know, 3,000 people a night making commitments, say, at, um, at Crystal Palace in, in 89 with Billy Graham. And part of my responsibility was to make sure that all 3,000 people were effectively followed up and had to put them in connections and all of this kind Where's of thing. Where's Simon Peter when you need him? <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But in a sense, I think it's because... I had a, a, a confidence uh -huh. somewhere in that that the relationships could work. And, you know, I've often felt that, that and certainly when I was leading a church, it was, it was if someone had brought someone to church and that person became a Christian, uh -huh. I wanted the person who brought them to play a significant part in discipling that person. Uh -huh. Now, there were other people they could go to and talk to, and there were other things that we put on and all the rest of it, church teaching programs and else, so that you got the wider discipleship. But I do think that personal relationship is really, really important. And I prefer that, actually, to discipleship programs, you know, where you, Whoa, you Hugh, grab hold Hugh, of Hugh, someone Hugh. and say, come you are, on, you come are, through a discipleship You class. are veering into next week's topic. Am I really? So I'm going to stop you, <laughs> and I'm going to say, join us next week for part two of this conversation, where we'll move on from history into today and what discipleship can look like, programs and relationship and just watching Mentoring Mondays every Monday with Hugh and that just being the sole source of... No, I'm joking. Yeah, you better be. But, uh, but, but join us next time for another episode of Honest Theology. Um, please do like, share, subscribe if you're watching on Spotify, Google, uh, iTunes or YouTube, wherever. And we'll see you next time. Thanks and God bless.